You are listening to an MLGA Network podcast. Welcome back to Make Liberty Great Again. It's just me again this time, folks. I know, I know, I'm sorry. I know you miss Phil. Uh, He misses you too. He talks about you every night as we're going to sleep in different beds because we're not together or anything. Uh, But yeah, it's just me today. Uh, Phil and I are still discussing, you know, what we're going to do with this show now, how we're going to reformat it, what our niche is going to be. Because even though we've gone through 22 episodes so far, we haven't quite found it. We haven't quite found what we think will make you want to come back every week. We have some ideas, we're talking about them, and we'll be back with something that I think uh, I think you're going to like. I think that uh, I think we found something. But I wanted to get started today with something a little more personal. I wanted to talk about my indoctrination into libertarianism. It all started one fateful day when I was on the YouTube, and I heard a speech from a man named Dr. Ron Paul. I know this is a story you've heard from a lot of people, but, you know, bear with me. This is my story. I get to tell it if I want to. The title of the speech was Imagine, and it, it gosh, it, it shook me loose. I mean, I was raised by Reagan Republicans who liked Bush a little more than they should have, um, but yeah, that's where I came from. And this, this speech that I'm about to share with you, oh boy, the, gosh, it changed my mind. So uh, strap in, listen to some, some lo-fi Ron Paul for a second, and then we're going to get to the meat of this episode. Imagine for a moment that somewhere in the middle of Texas there was a large foreign military base, say Chinese or Russian. Imagine that thousands of armed foreign troops were constantly patrolling American streets in military vehicles. Imagine they were here under the auspices of keeping us safe or promoting democracy or protecting their strategic interests. Imagine they operated outside of U.S. law and that the Constitution did not apply to them. Imagine that every now and then they made mistakes or acted on bad information and accidentally killed or terrorized innocent Americans, including women and children most of the time with little or no repercussions or consequences. Imagine that they set up checkpoints on our soil and routinely searched and ransacked entire neighborhoods of homes. Imagine if Americans were fearful of these foreign troops and overwhelmingly thought America would be better off without their presence. Imagine if some Americans were so angry about them being in Texas that they actually joined together to fight them off in defense of our soil and sovereignty because leadership in our government refused or were unable to do so. Imagine that those Americans were labeled terrorists or insurgents for their defensive actions and routinely killed or captured and tortured by the foreign troops on our land. Imagine that the occupier's attitude was that if they just killed enough Americans, the resistance would stop. But instead, for every American killed, 10 more would take up arms against them, resulting in perpetual bloodshed. Imagine if most of the citizens of the foreign land also wanted these troops to return home. Imagine if they elected a leader who promised to bring them home and put an end to this horror. Imagine if that leader changed his mind once he took office. The reality is that our military presence on foreign soil is as offensive to the people that live there as armed Chinese troops would be if they were stationed in Texas. 
We would not stand for it here, but we have had a globe-straddling empire and a very intrusive foreign policy for decades that incites a lot of hatred and resentment toward us. Welcome to Make Liberty Great Again, the best damn liberty podcast that you've never heard of. Phil and I will be your guides as we peer into the ridiculous reality of our society and our government. Let's get to it. All right. Gosh, I mean, that that speech, man. Ugh. I mean, it, it changed so much about the way I think. I mean, th- that started this slippery slope into uh, the idea that you shouldn't hurt people or take their stuff, that you shouldn't bomb people because you want their oil or because you think you should save them for some reason. I don't know. Uh, But yeah, it got me started down this path. And uh, hearing that again uh, made me start thinking about where we are today. It made me start thinking about what would it be like today? What would it take for me to go down this same path today if they if I didn't have my Ron Paul moment. So I started thinking about the different candidates that we have fighting for the presidency this go around. Obviously there's Donald Trump who I mean he's a fantastic troll. He's he's wonderful to uh, to watch in that aspect, but in almost everything else he's a nightmare. He's just god I get tired of I get so tired of the policies. I mean sometimes he put, he pays lip service to us, but not often, and it always seems like there's some ulterior motive. Um, but there's not really any of, of that on the other side. There's well, How many candidates are there for the Democratic nomination? 20? Ugh, God, it's painful to watch. But some this person's going to go up against Trump, who's changed the way the game is played when it comes to the presidency, and it'll be entertaining. I'll be honest with you, hate politics not going to vote, but I, I love the dog and pony show. And I love it because that's exactly what it is. Uh, I, if you've ever been to the airport, you've probably gone through the TSA. Uh, luckily, I haven't had my balls groped uh, there. But but I, I, I think that the TSA is a really good analogy or metaphor, whatever word you want to use, for what's going on with politics and what's always gone on with politics since they started using the word we the people to brainwash us into thinking that the government was us instead of the state, the violent monopoly on violence that it really is. It's a lie, just like the TSA. How many bombs have the TSA stopped? How many people have been saved from by the TSA? I mean, I can't, I can't think of any. I mean, for God's sake, they didn't start checking shoes until someone actually got a bomb in their shoe. The, the TSA is there for one simple reason. Security theater. They're there to make you feel safe, even though they have no bearing on that whatsoever. It's amazing. And I think that that is really what's happening in Washington. It's really what's happening on these campaign trails. These are people who are trying to convince you that you have a voice, and even worse, that you're the government. 
And even worse, you're the, uh, God, you're this state that takes your money, takes your time, tells you what you can or can't do. And God, it's none of their business, but they want you to feel like it's directly your business, that you're the one who's making these decisions. You're making the decisions that inconvenience you every day, that not, not only inconvenience you, there are people in jail because of decisions they want you to think that you made. It's a lie. It's, it's a fabrication. It's, like I said, it's a dog and pony show. It's a circus that's meant to distract us from the real goings on. It's there to make you feel like you're part of something that you're not. That's why it exists. So I enjoy watching that because I'm not going to vote for any of these losers. Every single one of these people that goes up there, they're trying for something. They are doing something so that they can take a little more control of your life. So they can tell you what sort of wage you can ask for. Because I'll be damned if $10 isn't better than nothing when a, a company is like, no, I have to pay you 15 And unfortunately, you're not worth that. You should be able to say, no, 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 no. I'll take 10 10 will work. That can get me where I'm going. I can learn. And then we can talk about 15 later. We can talk about 20 later. God, I haven't worked for minimum wage. Oh, man. What, 15, 16 years? I mean, I worked at Walmart, for God's sake, when I was 16 years old. And they didn't even start me at minimum wage, which was 625 then. They started me at 740. So, I mean, when you hear that garbage about people making minimum wage and Walmart, I mean, it's just not the facts. I don't know who's getting paid minimum wage at Walmart, but it wasn't the 16-year-old kid with no experience. And that says something. But, like I said, I've been looking at these these clowns, these losers, these these morons who think that they can control our lives, who think that this they can get into the position where they can be the one person who can control the lives and destinies of 300 plus million people. It's insane. And my God, if they could just stop beating the war drums for a minute, that would be fantastic. The truth is, the most important, by far, the most important issue that we need to deal with that we as libertarians think about is war it's all of the dead children that our stolen money has been used to create i mean i don't know how something could be more important than this i don't know how you look at the history of our violence and our and the blowback that comes from it and not think hey we need to stop this thing this leviathan this horrible terrible creature that the, the, the United States and its leaders have created. There's not really a voice for that. It's not really a Ron Paul that's out there saying, hey, I don't care if you like me. I don't care if you call me a cartoon character. What we're doing is immoral. What we're doing, if we were on the other side of it, we would fight too. But I lied just then. There is actually someone who's starting to go that way who's acting like that. And that's the um, that really hot chick from Hawaii named Tulsi Gabbard. I don't know. Uh, she's 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 good looking. Uh, I think it's mostly a meme. She's not bad looking, but you know, I'm not I'm not getting the Tulsi Gabbard calendar. But she's suddenly grown this set 
of balls that I, I you don't see very often. She's not quite to Ron Paul levels of I'm going to fight you. She hasn't had a Giuliani moment. She hasn't had a stick that she's stuck in anyone's eye yet. She's tried, and she's starting to get there. But, you know, I, I'm impressed. I think she could do something. I'm not saying she should be president. Every other one of her policies is absolute horseshit. But this is pretty good. It's not perfect. She's not as principled as Dr. Paul. She's not as principled as Murray Rothbard. She's not as principled as me, because I'm the most principled. Uh, I mean, if Dave Smith can be the most consistent, I mean, I'm sure I could be the most principled, right? Can I, can I claim that? Nope. All right. But yeah, no, she's, she's doing a good job. She's starting to kind of mix things up. She's starting to act like this is an important topic. And she's, she's been pretty good on this for a while. But I'm starting to see something. I'm starting to see that if she just took this chance, this moment could become her Ron Paul moment. And by God, if she didn't get close recently, she called Hillary Clinton the queen of the warmongers. I can't tell you how wonderful that was to hear because you know it. You've wanted to hear that. I mean, Donald Trump kind of alluding to it was one thing, but hearing, or I mean, he hearing an anarchist say it is one thing, but hearing someone from the Democratic Party call Queen Hillary the queen of the warmongers? Holy cow. That's, um, that's something I could get behind. But I was thinking, like I said, what would it take at this moment in time, had I not had my Ron Paul moment, to start moving me in that direction? To start making me think, hey, you know what? What we've done here, what we're doing, and I say we, and that's just an old habit that needs to die. Take that we shit back to the Soviet Union. But what the, the American government needs to do is stop killing people. We need to stop toppling dictators. We need to stop doing these things. And I want to hear more of that. Do you know how excited that makes me? I'm rambling. But what I wanted to say is, you know, this morning I started thinking about it. I started thinking, what would a Tulsi Gabbard speech sound like that would start to change people's minds? What would be the speech that would make me think twice? At that point, I wasn't a libertarian. Well, I mean, I kind of was. I just didn't know it. But what do you say to the Democrats? What do you say to the progressives? What do you say to the Republicans that aren't in love with Trump? What do, you, what do you say to make people stop and think maybe, just maybe we're doing something wrong? Maybe something needs to change. So I wrote it. I spent this morning writing a speech for Tulsi Gabbard. Writing the speech that I would like to hear Tulsi give. Now I'm not saying that this is a speech for anarchists. I'm not saying that this is a speech even for the mainline weak-kneed libertarians that we all know. This is a speech that I wrote for those who aren't convinced yet. If you're listening to this, you're convinced, man. Yeah, I mean, why would you listen to me if you weren't? But there are people out there who aren't. There are Democrats out there who aren't. This is for them. So you're going to hear some status language. You're going to hear some language in here that I wouldn't use, typically. But just sit back. Imagine that I'm a sexy surfer woman from Hawaii who's running for president as I share the speech that I think that Tulsi Gabbard should give. So here it is. My fellow Americans, in September of 2001, I was 20 years old. 
Like all of you, I wasn't ready for the carnage that I saw that morning. I was frightened. I was scared. But more than anything else, I was angry. And you know, I wasn't even angry. I was enraged. Someone over 6,000 miles away had decided to destroy our great nation. They didn't use nuclear bombs, and they didn't carpet bomb the White House. They hijacked passenger jets and ran them into two of our most monumental and incredible demonstrations of American will. They killed thousands of our people in a moment. They went after civilians instead of our leaders. They came after us. They came after you. Of course I was enraged. I was pissed. I had to do something. That's why I joined our brave brothers and sisters in the armed forces. I had to stop this from happening again. I had to find a way to avenge the friends and family that we lost to those that would do us harm, to those that wanted to ensure our destruction. You know, I know that many of you felt this way. I know that many of you felt the righteous anger that comes from something so monstrous, so devastating, so evil. I am with you. I was you. I am you. We had to do something. The administration at that time won their ticket on a promise to end nation building. They won by telling the American public that we would no longer topple dictators and install new ones to bend to our will. But that attack opened a door for them to break that promise. It gave them the opportunity to renege on a promise against regime change. We entered into combat in a country that we'd not declared war on. We began an immoral, ill-thought-out, and an unconstitutional war with Afghanistan. This is a war that we are still fighting and still losing to this day. Shortly after that, with an open ticket signed by the American Congress and by many that are fighting me for the Democratic nomination today, George W. Bush and Dick Cheney began another war with another country that we had no business being in much less dictating the inner workings of their government. The war in Iraq was a war built on lies told by men who also told us that we were doing the right thing. They told us that Saddam Hussein was an awful dictator and that we had to save his people and his land from his terrible reign. Saddam Hussein was a brutal dictator. He didn't deserve his office and the people didn't deserve his reign. But the Iraqi people deserved better than what we gave them which was blood and fire and death. But it didn't stop there. It didn't stop with Al-Qaeda. It didn't stop with the Taliban. It didn't stop with Saddam. It didn't stop with Bush. It didn't stop with Obama. It didn't stop with Hillary. It didn't stop with Trump. It has been 18 years, and it still hasn't stopped. As Americans, we were told not to listen to our enemies. We were told that Al-Qaeda's reasons for the 9-11 attacks were inconsequential. We were told that they killed scores of our people because they hated our freedom. We were told these things so that we would stop thinking, stop questioning, stop pondering why someone would come after us like that, why a majority of these men would leave their homes and families in Saudi Arabia to come and perpetuate a suicide bombing of that magnitude on our soil. I don't know about you, but I've always been told to know my enemy. How better to fight them or stave off attacks than to understand their motives, their strategy, and most importantly, how they think. 
Al-Qaeda had several stated reasons for the attacks. American immorality and support of Israel were among them. But I want to draw your attention to some reasons that you may not know about. In 1990, after Iraq's invasion of Kuwait, the UN and the US imposed economic sanctions against Iraq. This full embargo kept food, medical supplies, and other humanitarian necessities from the people of Iraq. More importantly to our attackers was that these things were kept from children. Osama bin Laden called it the greatest mass slaughter of children that mankind has ever known. The body count from these actions have reportedly exceeded 1 million people. They also protested against U.S. troops stationed in Saudi Arabia. You have to wonder what we would do in that situation. How would Americans respond if food and medical supplies couldn't come into the country? How would we respond if there were 5,000 Chinese troops in Texas or Oklahoma or in your hometown? Would we climb into passenger jets and kill civilians? No, that's not our way. But for the past 18 years, our government has been doing so on our behalf. Not with passenger jets, but with drones. Not with hijackings, but with coordinated sanctions and dismantling societies one at a time while rebel factions with a lust for power vie to be the newest dictator of their country. We create dictatorships or leave vacuums where the truly despicable take residence and impose their power on others. Without the U.S. foreign policy of the past 30 years, ISIS would never have taken power. 1,833 U.S. military personnel wouldn't have died in Afghanistan. 3,836 men would never have gone to Iraq in the first place, and they certainly wouldn't have died there. You can blame Al-Qaeda for the deaths in that day in September of 2001, but we didn't have to go to Afghanistan. We didn't have to go to Iraq. Those boys didn't have to die. They could still be with us, breathing, living, raising families. Instead, they died on the altar of regime change. They died in service to a lie. This is absolutely unacceptable. We cannot continue this. We can't keep bombing places into the Middle Ages or threatening to turn the desert into glass. Every dead child, every dead woman, every dead man, and every bit of collateral damage at the command of our leaders creates a new insurgent, a new insurgency, a new threat. Every toppled dictator gives way to a new bloodthirsty tyrant or a new caliphate swinging a sword at the necks of the innocent. Without our interventions and without our proxy wars for unfortunate alliances, there would be less suffering in the world. Cholera wouldn't thrive in destruction in Yemen. ISIS wouldn't have taken over Iraq. There wouldn't be an active slave trade in Libya. There would be fewer headless men and fewer families without fathers on all sides. Don't let the corporate press lie to you. This election is not about Russia. This election is not about Donald Trump. It isn't about Medicare for all, or college debt, or, or about gun control. It's not about Democrat or Republican. All of these issues must be addressed. But before all of that, before we sift through all of these domestic issues that divide us, we must restore America to her place in the world. We must renew the sense of morality and dignity that this great nation once possessed. We need to throw away the bindings of the mistakes of our past. We must stop these regime change wars. We must stop the killing in the name of altruism. C.S. Lewis once said, Of all tyrannies, a tyranny sincerely exercised for the good of its victims may be the most oppressive. It would be better to live under robber barons 
than under omnipotent moral busybodies. The robber baron's cruelty may sometimes sleep. His cupidity may at some point be satiated. But those who torment us for our own good will torment us without end, for they do so with the approval of their own conscience. We have tormented the people of the Middle East for their own good and with the approval of our conscience for decades, and we have left nothing but suffering. We have given jihadists the fuel needed to create a new jihad with each bomb, with each bullet, and with each intervention. The time has come to change the world for the better. The time has come to remove ourselves from the destruction of the Middle East and subsequently our own nation. We are a people better than this. We are a people of peace. We have claimed to be the city on the hill. It's finally time that we start acting like it. Thank you, and God bless America. So yeah, that's the, that's the speech that I'd like to hear Tulsi give. I don't think she'll be president. I don't think she'll get nominated. I don't think that if she became president that she would do anything so spectacular and beautiful and good that it would be worth voting for her. I think she'd hurt a lot of people just like everyone else who's running. But I'd love for her to, to I'd love for her to give this speech. I'd love for her to keep doing what she's doing right now. I'd love for her to be the last person in that nomination process before Elizabeth Warren gets the nomination. That's what I'd like to see. I'd like to see people be a little bit more aware of what we do in the in the world, of what our government does to people, of the the pain in Yemen, of the the pain in Syria, the pain in Iraq, Afghanistan, you name it. I'd like us to talk about that more. And I'd like Tulsi to be able to do that. I'd like people to be taught. I'd like people to be shaken loose of their preconceived notions about war and about how good America is and how we should be the world police. I'd like to have that conversation. I don't care if it comes from Donald Trump. I don't care if it comes from Tulsi Gabbard. I don't care who it comes from. I want the conversation to be had. I want to be able to take their sound bites and use them to convince people that we should stop killing people. That's what I'd like to see. So there you go. There you have it. I hope you enjoyed that. I hope that uh, Tulsi Gabbard hears this. I hope that I hope that we can change things. I hope that the violence can end. Either way, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a tweet at this is MLGA. Shoot me, shoot me up on, on Instagram, if that's what the kids say, at thisismlga. Go check out our new website, thisismlga.com, and tell me it's not pretty. Send us an email at thisismlga at gmail.com. You know where to find us. Type in those words, and we're good. Regardless, we're happy to be here, and we're happy you're with us. Stay sane. Yeah.